what I'm trying to say is that life is a marathon and so is your career. And the truth is, you're not going to be productive or successful if you're dead. So only when you're alive do you have the time and the energy and the health to be able to invest in your career. Welcome to Brave. Learn from Southeast Asia's best tech leaders. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. No BS on success. I'm Jeremy Ao, venture capitalist, Sarah founder, Harvard MBA, science fiction nerd, and dad of two daughters. Every week, we debate startup news, interview change makers, answer listener questions, and share personal insights. Join our movement of over 40,000 members and get transcripts, resources, and community at www.bravesea.com. Stay well and stay brave. Are you expanding or launching a business in the Philippines? Ensuring your employees' good health is key to attracting and retaining top talent. That's where Hive Health comes in, especially for startups and small to medium-sized businesses. They specialize in providing top quality and hassle-free healthcare plans tailored to your workplace. Learn more at www.ourhivehealth.com. Hey everyone, good to see you all again. I recently had the opportunity to hang out with Jia Chuan. He's an old friend of mine. We're both 36 years old. We're eating tacos. And we were just remembering the fact that 18 years ago, we met each other in the army and dug trenches together and were buddies. And now 18 years on, we're now 36 years old. Uh, he took the opportunity to ask me and say, hey Jeremy, what's something that you've learned in your 30s? What's something that you've changed your mind on? It was a really good question and I thought about it. And I think the thing that popped out straight away was the fact that frankly, the human body is a biological creature, an animal, not a machine. What do I mean by that? Well, when I was younger, I was very into mind over matter. My school was very much about officer, scholar, gentlemen, and we'll focus on being an athlete, being a high performer, about discipline, about virtues, and working very hard, perseverance. And these were all things that I obviously really value today as virtues. What was interesting though was that at some level, there was also this belief of mind over matter, kind of logos or logic over the flesh, you know, weakness. And it was an interesting reflection because when I was a teenager, I could do things that made sense, like work very hard, study on time. But I also do all-nighters. In the army, I would push myself to the limits. I would not sleep three days and three nights while navigating the jungle. So I think there's a lot of truth in the sense that you can really push your body beyond the limits of what you humanly thought possible, especially when you grew up in that middle-class childhood, you were able to always be in a comfort zone, right? And so the fact that you're suddenly in the cold or in a monsoon rain or sleeping in the mud or being lazy and then suddenly being in a position where you're like, okay, now I can run like 2.4 kilometers in eight minutes. I can navigate a jungle. You can really use your mind to push yourself. Unfortunately, I think that sense of belief actually has its limits. And I think there's something that I discovered slowly over time. So what I mean by that is in my 30s, I've obviously been a consultant where I've been working for a company. I've been a founder of one company that went from Harvard MBA and then built a second company. And throughout this entire time, I was a very big believer in working extremely hard. I would always work Monday to Saturdays, effectively from 9 a.m. to about 8 p.m. consistently. The reality is that this belief of mind over matter was really useful in my early career, especially in my early mid-20s because I was working at Bain as management consultant. I was building my first startup and there was a certain linearity 
responsibility of the work that let me be able to push and honestly burn the candle both ends. Frankly, I don't think I would have had a success without that mindset of really pushing my body to the limits. Unfortunately, this belief began to show its limits in my 30s, especially because I was going through my half MBA, I was building my second company, I was venture capital. These are professions that are a little bit rounded in terms of what is the least done. The fact that we're now older people. I remember that I was working effectively Monday to Fridays, kind of like 9am all the way to 9pm. On Saturdays, I'll work a lighter load of 9am to 5pm. I'll work with my co-founder the strategy sessions and then do my follow-ups. And I would try to have a break on Sundays and I'll probably start work on Sunday night in preparation for Morning. So I was doing effectively about a 70 hour week. And the truth is, it worked, right? The fact that I was able to found a company, value the team, fundraise in those early days. Unfortunately, one thing I realized was that I was just getting more and more tired. I was just getting more and more exhausted as I worked. And I would push myself harder because I was like, I shouldn't feel tired. I shouldn't take a break. And so I pushed myself because it was what worked for me in the past. And years later, I was able to take the opportunity to test myself for vitamin D. And the reason why was I was inspired by a family member who tested for vitamin D. And unfortunately, they tested deficient for vitamin D. I was like, you know what? I'll test myself. And if I tested myself, it turns out that I only had about 15 nanograms per deciliter. And that effectively means there's above average, there's average, there's below average, there's insufficient, and then there's vitamin D deficiency. And one of the symptoms of a vitamin D deficiency is fatigue and low energy. And so there's an interesting dynamic where, okay, I didn't have vitamin D because I wasn't exercising, I wasn't eating fish, I was out in sunshine. So all these kind of like fed into this vitamin D deficiency. And I also didn't know about this, so I couldn't take something. And then that in turn fed my lower energy levels into my work and so on and so forth. And so to some extent, your body has this homeostatic system to keep itself in check and this kind of like going sideways and going off the train tracks. And it makes me wonder to myself like, hey, if I had known about my basic human biology, if I had known that I could keep my body within specifications and if I just taken a vitamin D supplement, then I wouldn't have gone to all of the various measures and techniques because I would recognize the fact that my body is a human biological system that requires vitamin D to function. And that was an interesting example where I was trying to push myself to work harder. Actually, why I really need a vitamin D supplement because unfortunately I'm made of flesh and hormones and vitamins. The fact that we're biological creatures has also become more obvious now that I become a parent. I am the happy father of a three-year-old girl and a one-year-old girl. And it's kind of funny how obvious some of this stuff is. We want both kids to eat healthy, to play, to run a lot, to be out in the sunshine, to be around their friends for socialization, and to be loved, that, you know, in down times that they have support and happy times to reinforce the lessons I've learned. And we know that these things are not only things that we want for the kids because it's the right thing to do, because it's the responsibility of parents to structure, but also because we know that environment is actually the best environment for them to learn. Because when you have all these things, your body naturally converts the environment, the sensory inputs, and feeds that into an understanding of the world that's much stronger than it was before. We obviously understand the opposite of that, which is that if the kids don't have enough sleep, not having the nutrition, if they're around a lot of distractions and beeps and whistles and things, guess what? They're not going to focus at class. They're not going to think about lessons. They're not going to be receptive. They're going to be cranky. It's very obvious with children that those are things we need to do because it's the healthy thing to do, but also is the thing that lets them be able to have the foundation to be great learners. So if we know all this for kids, then why do we treat ourselves so terribly, right? Why do we treat ourselves like shit? Why do we treat ourselves to cubicles where 
We barely even do those 5,000 to 8,000 steps a day, which is a quantitative limit that we would naturally have. It was just outside or perambulating normally outdoors. We don't give ourselves sunshine. We eat takeout and processed food and we eat them at a desk. And then we hang out with people we don't like and we don't give ourselves the proper self-care. And then we go home and we stare at screens all day long. It's kind of funny that something that we wouldn't do for our kids is something that we do to ourselves because we're adults, right? You know, because mind over matter, we're now big people and we can push ourselves to the limit. And I think that's a no-brainer, but it's also funny where it just doesn't come together for us as adults. The way that I think about it is that everyone knows that if you're critically unwell, then you're not productive. What I mean by that is that if you or I have cancer, Everybody will expect us to prioritize our own health and recovery and hopefully fight cancer and beat it rather than focus on work. And as a result, we know that work is going to become a second or third priority if we're lucky. And so as a result, the productivity and results of that work is obviously going to slide. In society, we all know that no matter what the cost is, we've got to take care of our own health first, especially when we're critically unwell. The awkward reality is that all of us are going to die someday. Something's going to get us, whether it's cancer, heart attack, Alzheimer's, something terrible is going to happen. It's because our bodies are biological organisms that are designed to grow, reproduce, repair itself, and then over time, it starts to fall apart. And obviously, lots of doctors are working very hard on longevity to extend this out. And the biggest difference that we've learned over medicine is that it's just a function of fixing various crises, fix the heart attack, fix the stroke, fix the Alzheimer's. But also, it's about all the preventative health that comes into it, which is that we need to take care of our bodies, get enough sleep, well, avoid toxins. All those things will accelerate when those conditions that are out to kill us one day, this time shifts it all the way to an earlier chunk of our life. So instead of falling unwell and having a health span at the age of 80 or 90, now you're falling unwell at the age of 40 or 50 because you weren't taking up your body in your 20s or 30s. What I'm trying to say is that life is a marathon and so is your career. And the truth is, you're not going to be productive or successful if you're dead. So only when you're alive do you have the time and the energy and the health to be able to invest in your career. My mentor once told me that someone who's successful and dies at the age of 40 versus somebody who reaches the same level of success when they're 60 years old. Well, the truth is everybody would want to be someone who reaches success at the age of 60, lives to the age of 60, rather than the person who reaches the same level of success faster in a accelerated way at the age of 40. What another way of saying it is that someone who passed away at the age of 40 and is very successful, who had treated health for wealth and success, in retrospect, at a point of approaching the end of their life, in the knowledge of that, will probably have preferred to have taken things slowly and taken care of their health first and kept that acceleration of the career on a slower path. Which is why, of course, when you see those regrets of people who are dying in the hospice, all of them say like, hey, we wish that we invested in our own health first, our family, our loved ones, and we hadn't traded for our career so much because truth is, we have a finite amount of time on earth and that finitude, that limit is actually determined primarily by our health. Now, some people are going to say, hey, the culture wants me to hustle, right? It wants me to grind. I read about David Goggins, about pushing my limits. And the reality, like I said, is that it is true. I think for many people who are very far away from the limit, you should be pushing towards your limits. And a lot of people are held back by beliefs that are an order of magnitude away from their true potential. If you're watching TikTok, for example, for five hours a day, the truth is if you push yourself, you figure out some way, and we'll talk more about it later in the discussion and show, but you could definitely cut that down to one hour and substitute something else more productive. So you're very far away from your limit. And so obviously that grind or hustle culture, I think is helpful for there. However, when we think about that time, there are easy ways and there are hard ways to substitute that time towards 
productivity. And the truth is, if you can invest a chunk of your time, one to two hours a day, to also be invested in your health at the same time, is not a trade-off between health and productivity, but that investing in health lets you be more productive, and your productivity actually allows you to invest more time and resources in your own health. So let me give me a so let me give you an example of my own life. The truth is, I enjoy to procrastinate. I mean, everybody does. But you have this list, I have the systems, I'm getting things done, I'm the data island, I've done all those things. And the truth is, I have a to-do list of like hundreds of items because I would do this. I think of different pot scripts I want to write. I think about different startup ideas that are pretty cool. I think about funny products to build. These are all the things that are buzzing in my head. I just write them down as like something to do in the future, something to carve out time for. Now, obviously, there's a lot of productivity work that you can do. You can time box it, you can schedule it in, so, so forth. But what I realized was that I was always kicking myself a little bit, which is, okay, I have hundreds of items. I hate myself because I'm getting nowhere done. I'm only knocking off one item a day or two items a day, especially for those bigger projects. And obviously, like I said, there are ways to structure and do those individual things. However, I think what I kind of came to understand is that there's both good procrastination and then there's easy ways to solve for procrastination. And most of it is not bad procrastination, but those are the vast majority is actually good procrastination and solvable human biological procrastination. So what do I mean by that? I think, first of all, there's a lot of good procrastination. What that means is that if we are people who are hardworking, people who are trying to achieve in life, we have priorities. And for myself, one of my biggest priorities now is that I'm a dad. And so I used to have a lot of time to be able to work on so many different projects simultaneously because again, I was working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And so I would burn a candle both ends easily and so I could knock this all off. But now I'm like, you know what? There's a bar, right? These are projects I really want to do. I find I'm still doing them naturally, organically with procrastination. And then this is bar of, you know what? This is family time. I want to be present. I want to turn my phone off and I want to be with my kids and enjoy their time with them. And then everything else that I'm not doing, turns out I shouldn't be guilty about not doing it. It's just that at the end of the day, I'm a finite biological human being, not only with a certain number of days, which is about 80 or 90 years of days, but also a finite amount of time in a day, which is not 24 hours a day. You minus your sleep, your minus your showering, your self habits, your fundamental economic job, for example, you could be down to like maybe one to three hours of time a day maximum, right? And that's also again a trade with your family time. And so there's a lot of good procrastination at all. The other side I think about is that there's actually biologically normal, easily solvable procrastination. And what I mean by that is that the truth is there are some things that are just really hard to do because we think we should do them, but we're not structured in our own environment and habits and role models to do that. For example, I work from home a lot. I'm doing Zoom calls with founders, I'm doing business meetings, I'm writing emails, I'm also recording podcasts remotely. And the truth is, when I'm at home, sometimes I'm just meh, right? I don't want to work on something. I don't want to do this detail-oriented, difficult, lumpy project. Because guess what? There's nobody around, right? I used to work in an office a lot. I used to work in person with other people doing the exact same thing, which was, you know, they are doing management consulting, I'm doing management consulting. And if I didn't understand how to do something, I would wander over to the desk and I'll point at it and I'll ask a question and then they'll answer it and I'll wander back and then we're all management consultants together. And this office environment, you call it today, what mimetic desire, you want to be someone who everyone else wants to be. And guess what? There's also pair programming that you are programming in conjunction with somebody else, right? But all this is a simple fact that we as humans are social creatures. And if you look at kids, if you put a kid and you put them in a playground by themselves, they're just going to play. And if you put them in a classroom by themselves, they're just going to play. 
But when you suddenly have a teacher and 20 other kids and they're on the playground together and there's a strict activity, guess what? They're learning and being much more intentional because everyone else is doing the same. And because they see a role model who's showing them how to do it. Similarly, in a classroom, when there's everyone else putting the blocks away and organizing the shoes and painting together and the teacher is there with a role model, Guess what? Mimetic desire and pair programming and all that stuff is you need monkey see, monkey do. And guess what? When you're at home and you're not in the office, monkey don't see, monkey don't do. That's the tricky part that we have here where we have to overcome that hurdle. And that matters whether it's extroverts, the truth is we're all humans at some level and we need some of that parallel presence. And so for myself, one of the big hacks that I've done is I basically signed up for an online club called Flow Club. And basically what we just do is we enter a Zoom call effectively. And then we're all just hanging out together and working on that one thing. So at the start of the session, one hour, we all just say one thing, which is we're going to achieve this thing, break it out into various tasks. There's about five or six people around the world. And then we're all just effectively zooming and doing this individual project together, but together at the same time. And it's so awkward because, you know, there's not much music. I hide, I minimize the browser. So I don't really see them actually, but I just know that they're there. I know they have the hour. I have to promise them that I need some progress. And the truth is I normally don't finish it within the hour. Whatever I'm doing, I think I can do it one hour. Sometimes it takes one and a half hours, take two hours. But once I get started, importantly, because other people are doing what's the hardest thing for them, then guess what? I'm also doing it. That's a way for us to hack that mimetic desire pair programming and be aware then. This is a biological fact that we as humans will do what other people are doing. And I think we see that after the gym. Nobody wants to really work out at home by themselves without any structure or role model. The truth is a lot of the workout from home these days, you have Peloton, which brings the bike in, but more importantly, creates that social activity, creates that mimetic desire, trainer who looks good and comes in various fitness levels and backgrounds that lets you pick and choose someone that you resonate with. So that's a way to work out from home. People go to the gyms, they go to CrossFit, they have communities because they're looking for that cultural environment to surround themselves with the role models and the peers and even perhaps folks who are dreaming to them. And then you have that three layers where you're there looking up and down and as a result, you're part of it. And that structure lets you be there. And it's not because, again, because it's an intellectual thing to do, not because it's the cognitive thing to do to have a structured community part of, but it's just that we as humans are just biologically wired to monkey see, monkey do. In conclusion, I've learned in my 30s that it's important to take care of your health because taking care of your health lets you improve your productivity and improving your productivity is a mindset that can help transform the way you approach health. So instead of spending 10, 20, 50 hours on your health, that's not what I'm saying, but if what we're doing is being like, how do I be as structured as possible with my own health? Make it a priority, right? So how do I fall asleep at a certain time? How do I control my environment when I sleep? With my earplugs and my eye mask. How do I wake up on time, get my sunshine, get my vitamin D? These are all things obviously that can be regimented or structured using a productivity mindset. But the truth is we're doing it because it makes us feel better. It makes us feel in control in our life. It makes us be more productive fundamentally in our work. What I'm trying to say here is that a lot of what we're talking about is the fact that we have to realize that our human self our human mind is run on this processor called meatware of our brain operating with its neurons firing in synapses. And then, you know, there's a spine that goes into our body, it goes to the arms every time and so, so forth. And that the hormones from our liver and from our intestine and stomach control how the way that we think, 
And all of that is a hormonal system that's going on because at the end of the day, we're perambulating and walking about as a bag of meat and skin and nerves and cells. And all of this requires care. The same way that we'll care for our children to be at the best in school. The same way that we will want athletes to take care of their body in terms of regimentation. So if you want to do great work, I think we have to take care of our own health. If you're interested to learn more, I think there are some great resources out there. I really enjoy three different books that tackle this from different ways. I think the first book that I really enjoyed was James Clear in terms of Atomic Habits. I think it's a good way to think about habit formation and think about the structure of the routines and structures that you're having towards work. But I think that he totally doesn't talk about the biological piece of it. The second part that I thought was interesting was Near Isle, Indistractable. I think it's a good book about how to control your attention and focus. And I think it talks about the mechanisms of why the human wants to be distracted and how they focus versus what the industry is doing to hook and click on your focus. And so I think there's a good dynamic there. And the third is the book outlived by Peter Atia which is about longevity and about the human body and the different systems about increasing the lifetime of your time on earth, but also talks a little bit about energy levels and the various biological systems. And he writes it in a way that is very understandable in terms of science, but also understanding the cause and effect. And then you put those three books on one side, I think some good podcasts I really enjoy. One of them is Reboot.io, which is a podcast about human leadership by founders, by executives, about their own life and how their past experiences affect the way they perform today and what they would do differently in terms of performance. Another one that I really enjoy is Huberman Labs. It's a podcast that talks about saunas and longevity and running and protocols. But I think he does a good job explaining why it links to your peak productivity today and how you can be much more efficient about how you take care of your body. So all in all, I hope that you take away from this something that I've learned more recently, now that I'm growing older, which is that you have to take care of your body, you have to take care of your health, and when you take care of these things, then you'll be in a good position to continue working effectively and productively and hopefully gain some success in the career and the workplace. On that note, good luck and stay brave. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. We would also appreciate you leaving a rating or review head over to www.bravesea.com for member content, resources, and community. Stay well and stay brave.